In today's episode of Thoughts, we talk to Michael Colby, who is a professor and personal chair in philosophy at the University of Edinburgh. He has published books in Ethical Theory, Practical Ethics, The Philosophy of Death, and has recently published Grief, a Philosophical Guide. With this in mind, we talk about grief and empathy, what they mean for us as humans and the implications of being unable to grieve. So here are some thoughts on grief, empathy, and psychopaths. Thank you so much for joining us today, Michael. I'm really excited to talk about um, this topic with you. So before we sort of get into the proper philosophy of it, could you just let us know what uh, it is to grieve someone, what grief is, um, whether it's like a, a psychological state or is it an emotion? Um, what What is grief? Well, it's a difficult question, uh, but the answer that I've arrived at is that it's not an emotion, though it tends to involve a lot of emotion. Uh, it's not a mood, though sometimes it behaves a little bit like a mood. The way I think it's best to think of grief is that it's a heightened state of attention. So our um, minds, right, can direct their uh, resources at things in the world uh, in a disproportionate way. When we're doing that, we are paying attention to them. And I think of grief as an uh, instance where our psyche uh, has directed its attention to a particular event or fact, namely uh, the death of someone who matters to us in a particular way. Uh, that's to give an answer kind of about, I guess, the what sort of category, right, um, grief is, mentally or psychologically. Um, but I think there's also this question of why we grieve, who we grieve. That is to say, you know, why is it that grief happens sometimes and not others? Um, one difficulty or complication here is that, of course, you know, lots of people die in the world, uh, but we don't grieve everyone's death. I think grief is a selective response that we have to uh, certain people's deaths. And that then raises the question, well, you know, why do we grieve some deaths rather than others? And the obvious answer, I think, is that we uh, grieve people with whom we stand in a certain kind of relationship. Um, I draw the net here pretty widely uh, in that I think that we can grieve for people that we love, but also uh, people that we simply admire or emulate, um, or in some cases, maybe people that we uh, are ambivalent about, even hate. But I think at the heart of all of those uh, relationships is what I call practical identity, the idea that uh, a person has come to play a certain central role in um, how we think about our lives and how we think about ourselves and about what we value. Um, so these are the people around whom we've kind of built our, our projects and concerns and commitments, the, the people that we would kind of reference, right, if we were writing our own autobiographies. So when those people die, uh, we grieve uh, because they've mattered to our sense of ourselves. So has there been much philosophical work on grief? Well, it's, um, it's a topic with an interesting philosophical history in that it certainly doesn't get sustained attention um, in the history of philosophy. Um, in the moment, there's a lot of work going on uh, around grief uh, by philosophers. There's myself. Uh, there's also a network of researchers at the University of York uh, led by Matthew Ratcliffe, who are, who's doing a great deal of research on this. Um, and some other figures uh, in the field, uh, Ashley Atkins, Dan Moeller, um, and a few others. So we're kind of at peak grief at the moment, but historically it's kind of an orphan topic. Um, philosophers have not talked all that much about grief um, historically. There are some exceptions, Kierkegaard, uh, Augustine, um, uh, Wittgenstein, but for the most part, philosophers have stayed away from it. Um, Maybe the one era where, where uh, that wasn't true is uh, Roman philosophy. So the consolatory letter, right, a letter that a philosopher would write to someone who is in the midst of grief, you know, seeking advice, 
was a kind of important genre, actually, in Roman philosophy uh, among the Stoics and Epicureans. Um, but, you know, I would say it is by and large a neglected topic by philosophers. Why should we look at Greece through a philosophical lens? Well, of course, you know, uh, grief is a subject that uh, people in, in many different fields and disciplines have looked at quite extensively. Um, you know, it's one of the first things that, you know, anthropologists look at when trying to understand a society is its grief practices. And of course, it's much studied, you know, by psychologists or in psychiatry. But I do think there's a place for philosophy in all of this. Um, in part, I think, because grief can help us uh, think about some other philosophical questions that we might be interested in. It might help us understand um, our emotional lives better, kind of understand the, nat uh, the nature of, of affective experience, emotional experience better. Um, but I also think there are kind of practical or normative reasons why um, philosophy has a special part to play here. It seems to, uh, grief seems to tell us something about what we care about, what matters to us, how we care about it, how we deal with the loss of things that we care about. Um, and how I suppose to to incorporate right that sense of loss into a worthwhile life. Um, I think you know one of the things that it's often surprises me uh, about philosophers when they've thought about you know uh, personal relationships and, and the value of personal relationships is they haven't thought a lot about loss, right? What is you know how do we deal not really with with what's valuable and enjoy what is valuable, but how do we deal with uh, losing what's valuable? Um, and that I think is is a place where um, you know, the philosophical uh, study of grief is particularly salient. I guess it's kind of like um, if you've experienced grief, that's an indicator that you have had a sort of a fairly valuable life, like you've cared about someone, you have a, a fairly um, concrete idea of your own identity. So, like, it seems like quite an important um, thing to experience, right? I think so. Um, the example I always like to use to kind of motivate that, that question is... Um, the example of Merceau, right, in Camus' novella, right, The Stranger, right? So you may remember that book, but uh, it doesn't appear to, at first glance to be a book about grief, but it kind of is. So at the beginning of the book, you may remember the, uh, our protagonist, Merceau, has just learned about the death of his mother. And, well, either he doesn't grieve or, or he grieves in a very muted way, right? And I think it's an interesting question to ask ourselves whether we would want to be him, right? Whether we look at Merceau and we say to ourselves, hmm, you know, what a lucky person, right? He's he's avoided all the emotional tribulations of grief. Or do we say, on the other hand, you know, there's something amiss in this person's life, right, if he doesn't grieve. And I think what you just said, Jasmine, probably puts the finger on one thing that's amiss, right, which is that, you know, a person's not going to grieve if they're completely uh, uh, disenchanted, right, or alienated from the world, right? And that's kind of how Marceau was. Nothing much matters to him. So, of course, you know, there's nothing much that he can lose that would induce grief in him. But that doesn't look like a condition I think most of us would think, you know, what a lucky fellow to, to be so, um, you know, uh, again, alienated, right, or, or divorced, right, from the world that uh, there's nothing in his life that's worth grieving if he were to lose it. So that's making me think of like, it seems like grief can have this really positive impact on our own lives. Um, but I think naturally people don't really like feeling grief. It seems like quite a negative emotion. Um, even though it seems important for us to, to feel it. Um, so, so is there any sort of philosophical analysis on that about how something can be so important and valuable and positive and yet still be such a horrific thing or an uncomfortable thing, which people want to avoid? Yes. I, I call that basic set of observations you just articulated. I call it in, in my book, the paradox of grief. Uh, and it is paradoxical, I think, 
not in a strict logical sense, but kind of in, in a practical sense. So on the one hand, grief has emotions in it that most of us don't generally look forward to, sadness, sorrow, uh, but also other uh, emotions that we tend to not uh, look fondly upon, uh, anxiety, maybe uh, guilt, resentment, worry. Uh, those are emotional conditions that most of us you know, don't uh, uh, think of as, as desirable or valuable. At the same time, there seems to be something to the thought that the absence of grief would be bad for us too, right? So we have this uh, sort of um, conflict, it seems, between the notion that on the one hand, the presence of grief doesn't seem very good, but the absence of grief wouldn't be good either. And uh, the, this raises, I think, some very intricate questions, but to see if I can summarize it in a succinct way, I think in the end, right, we should think that grief can be valuable to us. It's not always good for us, but I think when it is valuable to us, it affords us a kind of understanding of what we care about because it's our uh, psyche's way of, of informing us about what we care about, right? In particular, something that, that mattered to us very much, a person who mattered to us in a particular sort of way. So I think that grief is one of the ways that we stay attached, right, to the things that matter to us. And one of the ways that we are um, better positioned to make sense of it, right? It seems to me that we have uh, such a wide array of emotions sometimes in grief because uh, the people that matter to us evoke in us such a wide array of emotions, right? So those emotions are informative in terms of helping us understand our loss. And then grief being, you know, uh, suffused with, with a lot of affect, with a lot of emotion, tends also to motivate us, I think, to uh, try to figure out how to live in the light of that loss, right? Grief kind of uh, reminds us, hey, there's a kind of problem that you currently face, right? You're going to have to figure out how to live in the world without someone. And grief is kind of our uh, a psyche's alarm system reminding us that that we do have something that we need to do. So is there like a, um, a threshold for when grief becomes too much, sort of when when we're sort of like, oh, someone's really lost in their grief, now it's becoming a negative thing, it's no longer valuable to their life, it's no longer sort of helping them with their own or helping them with their sort of self-identity? Probably, but I'd be very hesitant to say what that is in any particular case. Um, and I'd be hesitant because, uh, you know, as the saying goes, everyone grieves differently. And I, and I would add to that, not only does everyone grieve differently, I think everyone grieves each person differently. So I think we tend to have, um, you know, quite specific grief reactions based on our own personalities, our biographies, uh, the kind of relationship at question. I think we grieve, you know, a beloved teacher differently to the way we would grieve a parent or a grandparent or, or a spouse or a sibling. Um, and so I think that uh, we should be uh, deeply respectful, right, of, of the wide array of grief reactions and episodes that people undergo. Probably there is a point at which it's too much, but I'd be quite hesitant to you know, try to pin that down in a particular case, because what might be too much in one case might be not enough in another or vice versa. Awesome. So um, drawing back to your argument, you called the paradox of grief. Have you had much pushback on this argument? Have you had any sort of peer reviews where someone's been, nope, you're absolutely wrong? <laughs> uh, not absolutely wrong. I, I guess some people have misgivings. Um, I think that the answer that I ultimately give to the paradox of grief is that grief affords us a kind of self-insight or what I call self-knowledge. Now, I don't mean that... Um, we always achieve a kind of valuable form of self-knowledge through grieving, but I think we often do. I think the major hesitation that, that um, people have had about my overall uh, philosophical account of grief is uh, the fact that I call my position about grief egocentric. 
So as I see it, right, we grieve deaths of those who matter to us in a particular sort of way. Though again, people can matter to us in lots of different ways. We grieve some people that we love, some people that we admire, some people who we're just sort of uh, partners with, friends with, that sort of thing. Um, but some have, have detected in, in my account um, a possible worry. And the worry is roughly that this seems to suggest that grief is, as an experience, very much focused on ourselves, that it's kind of a selfish, um, maybe even kind of narcissistic experience. Um, and I don't want to say that. I do think that we grieve because we suffer a loss to ourselves. But at the same time, a lot of our grief experiences will be focused on the deceased, particularly in cases where we happen to love the deceased. After all, the people that we love, we will tend to view uh, them and, and their well-being and their concerns and so forth as things that matter to us. So uh, in grieving their deaths, we will naturally be drawn into thinking about their lives and thinking about the ways in which, say, their death might have been good or bad for them or, or dying might have been good or bad for them. So that's been the major uh, point of criticism, I think, over time is people wanting to uh, push back against um, uh, my egocentric account of grief. But I would say my account is, is egocentric without being uh, worryingly self-interested or self-centered. Is grief an active state? Meaning, must we actively engage with our emotions and identify them with our experiential context to be grieving? Or can one ever passively grieve? And would that still be considered as grief? I don't think we have to know that we're grieving to be grieving. Right. It seems to me very possible that, um, you know, a young child right, could be grieving without being able to apply that label to it or without even having a kind of concept right, of grief. So I don't think we have to um, grasp our experience as grief in order to be grieving. But as to uh, what you're asking, Matt, about sort of whether grief has to be uh, active or not, I don't think it has to be active, but I think we tend to underestimate the degree to which it is active. It's something that we do, not just something that we kind of passively undergo. Um, you know, you look at the kinds of um, decisions and choices that people make in the course of grieving. I think a lot of what we see there is that people make decisions or choices in response to their grieving, but also in an effort to kind of shape it, right? So, you know, you think about the person who finally right after months and months, decides to uh, clean out the belongings from their parents' house, right, the parent that they've been grieving. That's a case where I think, you know, we should understand what that person is doing in terms of their uh, engaging actively with their grieving, right, uh, embracing it, right, trying to shape it and, and um, uh, craft it, right, in a certain sort of way, right? So I don't think we simply withstand grief. I, I think the image of our being... Uh, sort of helpless and assailed by grief, right, is one that I think that we should resist. On the other hand, right, it does sort of come unbidden, right? It's not a sort of beast that we can completely tame, right? We can't simply, uh, you know, decide not to grieve and we can't uh, dictate the terms of our grief. But I do think we have more agency and connection with grief maybe than we realize. So going back to the idea of um, practical identities, if grief sort of um, can be explained in terms of our practical identities, um, it's making me think of, some people think that when they're going through grief they don't feel like themselves and while that might be enlightening it might reveal a different side of them that they're not used to it. it could be something completely new so um how how does this idea of grief with your practical identity uh how, how does this sort of coincide mm -hmm. well i think one of the most powerful uh features of grieving 
that uh, people uh, are, are unaware of or, or don't take stock of is the fact that grieving often feels bewildering or puzzling or disorienting to people. You actually hear people say things like, you know, I feel like I've lost a part of myself or I don't feel like myself or I don't feel at home in the world. And there's, uh, those are all instances, I think, of people reporting that the, the world now seems unfamiliar to them or they even seem unfamiliar to themselves. And this, I think, is powerful evidence in favor of uh, my own practical identity account of grief. Because it seems like the losses of grief, uh, the losses that we're trying to take stock of in grief, are not just sort of losses of particular sorts of things or particular sorts of you know, people or goods. We're also, in some sense, thrown for a loop, right, by their deaths. And so we're experiencing a kind of identity crisis, right? We're sort of trying to figure out who we are, given that a kind of cornerstone of our world is no longer there anymore. We don't feel entirely, uh, again, at home or at ease in the world in the way that we did before. So uh, as I see it, right, the losses that we are uh, engaging with when we're grieving are not just kind of losses of particular things, you know, the particular you know, activities you might have enjoyed with a friend, say, but also sort of loss of ourselves, right, loss of a sense of ourselves uh, that we had perhaps become uh, familiar with previously. Um, I'm wondering how your conceptualization of grief plays into the idea of um when when someone feels like they're grieving someone who's not necessarily died but is no longer a part of their life so say that's a best friend who's moved the other side of the world or a child whose parents have divorced and one's gone to live far away like is are they the same kind of grief because it's sort of the recognition of something which is loss and it's linked to one's personal identity i think they're continuous with the losses i think of as emblematic of grief of course people use the term grief often more widely than just um uh, to refer to, you know, our emotional engagement with the deaths of others. Sometimes they uh, use it to refer to, you know, emotional engagements with other kinds of relationship-based losses. So, you know, breakups, divorces, that sort of thing. Um, Robert Solomon, I think, has a very interesting example where he invites us to imagine that a loved one of ours is uh, about to be launched into space, right, on a uh, deep space exploration mission, right? But it's a one-way mission. They're never going to return and you're going to lose all contact with them, you know, in a few hours. And, and Solomon asks, well, would, would grief be appropriate in that uh, context? And I think he's right to say, yes, it would, right? You're sort of permanently losing your relationship with that person, even though they're not dying. Um, so I think there's a lot of continuity between those other kinds of uh, losses of relationships and the loss of relationships that's involved in other people die. Though I think there are some distinguishing features too, right, of, of um, relationships that are transformed by death, right? There's a kind of finality there. Uh, you, you literally can't go back and restore the relationship. Uh, death forces certain kinds of changes, I think, in how we relate to another person. We can't plan with them. We can't, you know, communicate with them. So I think that it's a distinctive kind of uh, loss that we're engaging in when we're, we're in grief, but it does have a lot of similarities to other kinds of um disruptions or transformations of the relationships we have with others so then when does grief become problematic prom- problematic um because can some people can suffer from really severe depression due to grief um can do, does grief ever get medicalized at all well of course people seek medical help often reasonably often for um difficulties that arise from grief I myself of, of the view that we should nevertheless hesitate to think that grief itself is a clinical disorder, is a mental disorder. Um, 
And there are a lot of reasons for that. Uh, I think foremost among these is that by and large, you know, going back to some themes we were exploring earlier in our conversation, grief seems like a valuable or worthwhile thing for us to undergo. So I think we should be uh, um, very hesitant to uh, categorize, right, as pathological, a category of human experience that for the most part seems to be essential to human experience, almost definitive of human experience. Um, that said, right, you know, people do have difficulties that arise from uh, grieving where it would seem sensible, seem reasonable for them to seek out medical attention. You mentioned depression. Uh, you know, certainly people uh, sometimes seek help for that, but they also seek help for anxiety that arises in the course of grief or, you know, physiological problems, sleeplessness uh, and things like that, which are also not uncommon. So, Michael, is duration a factor for prolonged grief disorder? Well, as somebody who doesn't believe we should have a uh, category (laughs) to prolonged grief disorder, um, I think what I would say there is, uh, of course not, but uh, I suppose the more um, uh, salient answer would be to say that, you know, we should take stock of how long we're grieving. Um, It doesn't seem to me to be useful to think that our grief should persist effectively forever. Uh, Sometimes you do hear people saying that grief is a kind of permanent wound, uh, which may well be true, but that doesn't mean we have to be afflicted by that wound uh, forever and ever. So I think it's relevant to thinking about um, the health of of a grief episode or or, um, how valuable it is to us. But I would say it's only one factor among many. We should also be thinking about Uh, whether people are undergoing the right sorts of emotions in the course of grieving, whether they are um, finding that uh, the pitch of their emotions, the intensity of their emotions manageable. So duration is is one element in the equation, but far from the only one. Yeah, it's making me think of the sort of the the cycle of grief, the going through the five stages, um, which I think is it's quite sort of popular in main mainstream media and literature and stuff like that. How accurate is this taxonomy of grief, do you think? Not very, though most of the work uh, to corroborate that idea has been done by by psychologists, Holly Pridgerson and Tahali in the United States, most notably. Um, but the five-stage model, which was developed by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross in the 1960s, you know, tells us that grief unfolds in this five-stage pattern, uh, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Um, now, to credit that model, it does seem to be true that most people's grieving has phases, I guess we could say, stages may overstate it a bit. But, you know, typically grieving does include a number of different emotions. But uh, where the Kubler-Ross model probably uh, is incorrect is that very few grief episodes conform to that five-stage pattern. You know, many of us don't undergo those five, or we undergo those five and a few others besides, or we undergo them in a different order. Uh, Much of the psychological research um, suggests, for example, that the first stage of of many people's grieving is unsurprisingly acceptance, right? That in order to grieve, you have to... um, believe, right, in some, you know, rich and and real sense that this person is dead. So it's been a useful um, tool, right, or has proven, I think, a useful starting place to think about grief experience, uh, since, again, it does seem like grief experience uh, typically does have, right, a number of different elements to it, but probably gets most of the details wrong. So if grief is made up of various emotions, how can we be sure that we're grieving if we're not experiencing all of the emotions? or haven't experienced all of the states yet? Is grief a success term? Yeah, I'm not sure if I would put it as a success term. I think what I would say is that, you know, we would have to take stock of our own experiences. Um, I do think one of the interesting phenomena uh, that is worth thinking about in this connection is 
what I call in one of my articles, quasi-grief, right? The idea that sometimes people can undergo emotions, right, that are grief-based emotions without recognizing that they originate in grief, right? And so someone might just feel um, uh, you know, uh, short-tempered or uh, stressed or, or anxious, whatever it is, without recognizing it as uh, germinating in grief. Um, but I think we can know if we're grieving, right? We have to look very carefully at our own experiences and figure out whether those experiences are anchored uh, in the object of grief, whether they're anchored in the fact that someone in whom we've invested our identity has died and whether we're reacting to that fact. Is there a moral dimension to grief? Well, I think that in the broadest sense, right, kind of maybe in the virtue ethical sense that philosophers use, it seems to me to be clear that uh, we should be glad that we have the capacity to grieve, that probably the ability to grieve um, reflects positively on us, right, as individuals, uh, that we should probably uh, raise an eyebrow when we come upon someone who doesn't grieve. It might suggest a kind of um, deficiency in their character, and in particular, a kind of deficiency relating to um, their ability to relate virtually to other people and to care about the ways in which their lives are intertwined with the lives of others. So um, I think that uh, there is a clearly a moral dimension insofar as grieving is probably a reflection of, of good features of human beings, right? Um, that said, I, I would be disinclined at the same time to, to want to be overly moralistic about grief. That is to say, I think we should be um, reluctant to think that there is from a moral point of view, the right way to grieve or ways of grieving that uh, are, are morally dutiful. Uh, you know, I think one of the good things about um, grief and mourning practices in, in contemporary societies is that we are more um, appreciative, right, of the ways in which people's grief can differ. The idea that, you know, from the Victorian era that you had to wear black for a certain period of time or you weren't really grieving or, you know, uh, you know, that, that, Certain kinds of behaviors have to uh, be uh, visible to others, or otherwise you're not really grieving. I think all of that we should be uh, not very enthusiastic about. So I would say it has a moral dimension, but we should be um, careful about moralizing it. Do you think then that we sort of owe grief to anybody? I mean, it it seems like if if we should sort of be careful about maybe showing grief in a very very public way. Um, it could seem like you might be trying too hard to prove that you're grieving someone. Um, but but do you think we owe grief to anyone? Well, I do think there's an interesting question of whether we owe it to the dead. I uh, am currently trying to think through how to make sense of that idea. Uh, I think it seems pretty clear that we can owe to the dead mourning, by which I mean we can owe activities that commemorate their death, that acknowledge it, that uh, remind the world of, of the fact of your death. But I think it's harder to see, though, though I am trying to figure this out, how we could owe grief, right, the sort of the psychological process, right, uh, to the dead. Uh, but I do think it's credible to think that maybe we owe it to uh, dead people that we love because it's a way of kind of being faithful to them, of, of sort of having a relationship with them that reflects who they are. But I think more simply, I think we owe it to ourselves. I think our lives are less rich, less um, complete. Um, less reflectively authentic if we don't grieve. And so I think we uh, are depriving ourselves, right, of an important facet of the human experience if we try to avoid grief or we try to suppress it. 
So um, I think, you know, there's something to be said for our owing grief to the dead, but something even stronger to be said for our idea of, of owing it to ourselves. Does grief have a function? Meaning, do we have to have loved a person in order to grieve them? We don't have to have loved them. I mean, I think one of the interesting things to note is that I think we grieve anyone, again, in whom we have invested our practical identities. And, and loving someone is one way to invest our practical identities. In them. But there are other ways, right? So, you know, I think people genuinely do grieve, for example, you know, political leaders that they, that they admire or that are inspiring to them. I don't think they love them in any interesting sense. Um, you know, people can grieve people about whom they feel ambivalence, uh, sorry, ambivalence, right, or even hatred. Right. Um, but so long as that particular stance toward the deceased person played a part in their practical identity, motivated their hatred, right? <laughs> you know, uh, grief can seem can can, can arise. Um, I'd be reluctant to say that grief has a function exactly, but I think it's clear that, that it can be good for us, that it has a kind of um, tacit or inchoate aim, which, again, I think is to is in some way kind of a, a, a two-part aim, right? On the one hand, to help us grasp the nature of our loss, right? I think grief is not our response to our grasping it. It's in some ways how we come to grasp it, right? It's a tool for understanding loss. And then secondarily, I think it's a tool for um, enabling us to figure out how to live, right, in the light of that loss. You know, when you think about, you know, very serious uh, losses, right? Losses of people who are really central to our practical identity, like, you know, a spouse to whom you've been married for some time. It seems to me that people invariably, you know, ask themselves questions about what their lives are going to look like in the absence of that spouse. Am I going to continue to live in the same house? Am I going to continue to go to the same restaurants, the same pubs? Am I still going to, you know, watch the same television shows, go to the same church? I mean, you can imagine all kinds of things that, um, uh, questions like that that arise, right, for someone when uh, a spouse of, of long standing has died. And I think that grief then is um, a kind of emotional resource for helping us see where it is we want to go, right, once we've suffered that loss, right? We ask ourselves things like, well, you know, was it really that I like to go to the movies every Sunday or did I go because, you know, he or she liked to go every Sunday? This is a way for us to be together or something, right? And these are the kinds of questions that I think become prominent, right, in people's minds, right? And grief is one of the ways or one of the bits of, uh, of evidence, right, that helps us figure out where we're going to go, what kind of practical identity we want to have. So then, like, if if maybe a public figure uh, or a celebrity you've, you've sort of, is part of your personal identity, you're, you admire them greatly, you've sort of followed their life your whole life, um, is it, the, is it the same kind of grieving which we feel when, when a public figure has died? I'm, I'm thinking of specifically like the Queen has recently died and my my grandmother absolutely adored the Queen and I couldn't get my head around how why she was so upset. But your talk of sort of your, your practical identity sort of uh, it being involved with that, she she was very much involved in the Queen's sort of coming and goings sort of from a distance. So is it is it performative or, or, or what's the difference between sort of personal and public grieving? Well, I do think that sometimes when we engage in mourning, we're not necessarily engaging in grieving. And I think there's a lot of, uh, if you will, sort of mimicry, right, involved in mourning um, in that I think, you know, people do uh, engage in mourning without necessarily grieving the deceased person. In some cases, I think we're kind of mourning for the mourning of someone else or mourning for someone else's grief, sort of acknowledging the pain that they feel. 
what you were saying about about your grandmother and the queen well um you know it sounds like your grandmother might have been there at the beginning you know when she was uh when she was crowned and you know saw all the different stages of her life and for her this is kind of i don't know i can imagine you know sort of an old friend you know depending on her sort of uh sentiments about about you know about Britain, right? This might be a sort of important symbol. You know, many people, you know, seem to have thought of the Queen as kind of like a stand-in for a national mother figure or something like this. So all of that, I think, um, goes to uh, explaining, right, how people can, right, I think, experience bona fide grief at the deaths of public figures. That it said, it's likely to be different, right? So, you know, you think about the death of, um, say, a musician or a filmmaker or a novelist whose work you admire. You're not likely to feel, I would expect, anxiety, right, in the way that you would feel at the death of, let's say, your mother or your spouse, right? Uh, you know, we're not attached to them in the same sort of way, right? But you might feel, I don't know, a sort of sense of, of rueful loss, right, that we're not going to see any more, you know, songs from David Bowie or, uh, you know, films from Kurosawa or whoever it is, you know, you might be mourning. Um, so I think it's going to have a, uh, that kind of grief is going to have a different kind of emotional flavor. But again, you know, if we are, uh, if we have genuinely invested, right, our practical identities in these people, uh, it makes sense, right, that we would grieve them, even if the grief doesn't, again, have the same kind of uh, flavor or tenor, right, that it has when we're grieving for, for people with whom we're intimate. Could um, public grieving then just be, rec- or on top of that, be recognizing someone else's grief? So, I might just be being really empathetic with Prince Charles thinking, oh, he's just lost his mum and I'm going to sort of almost grieve on his behalf. Yeah, I think there is something to that. And I also think there's something slightly contagious about about grief and mourning, right? You know, when you're around somebody who's grieving or mourning, it seems to put you in that same sort of mindset. And I think we can grieve, uh, if you will, sort of vicariously. That is to say, we can grieve not because someone's uh, death mattered to us, they weren't part of our practical identity, but because someone who is part of our practical identity is grieving someone who is part of their practical identity, if you will, right? So, you know, I think we can grieve sort of at one remove for their kinds of losses. And this probably speaks to uh, the role that, that grief and mourning play, you know, in human communities, in, in solidifying our bonds to one another, in being able to, um, you know, acknowledge one another's sort of mutual uh, interests and mutual vulnerabilities. Uh, so it probably has a good bit to do with, uh, you know, the ways in which these kinds of rituals seem to contribute to, you know, a sense, a sense of community and a sense of uh, uh, solidarity, right, among human beings. Is there a right way to grieve? No, I tend to be pretty ecumenical, right, about how we should grieve, aside from the fact that we should, right, and that, you know, we should not try to uh, avoid it or suppress it. Um, But again, I think much of this has to do with the intricacies and particularities of grief episodes themselves. Again, we grieve lots of different kinds of people for lots of different kinds of reasons. We ourselves differ in our temperaments and personalities and commitments and values. So I don't think there's any reason to expect that uh, we could cram all of, of human grief experience into one pattern or one template, right? Um, but what I would say is, you know, we should be open to grieving. We should uh, grasp that um, while it is often uh, taxing, arduous, difficult, that there are good things that can come from it uh, and that we have to be receptive to it. 
but also, you know, going back to one of your other questions that, uh, you know, we should, we should keep in mind that um, we are permitted to, to interrogate our grief and to try to shape it and craft it, right. To sort of see what grief can do for us. Right. So um, yeah, no one way to grieve other than that you should. If um, someone can't be empathetic or if they don't have the capacity to construct a sort of practical identity for themselves, can they grieve? My theory predicts that they won't be able to grieve. <laughs> uh, in order to grieve, you have to um, have other people or things um, as essential to your practical identity. So if you haven't got that, then uh, uh, my view, you shouldn't be able to grieve. To go back to an example we were discussing a while back, you could argue that that's the situation of Merceau, right? There's not really anyone or anything, right, that is so essential to his practical identity that were he to lose it, it would be sensible or rational for, for him to grieve. So um, I don't think that we need empathy exactly to grieve, but it does seem to me that we need a certain kind of way of viewing others, right, in relationship to our own sense of what's valuable in our lives. And so then if we're unable to sort of assess what's valuable or build sort of uh, um, meaningful connections with people, it seems like we're unlikely to grieve them or because I'm, I'm just wondering. So I recently watched the um, the new Netflix series on Jeffrey Dahmer and he seems like a psychopath, but he has a really strange relationship with his parents. And it's strikes me that he might be able to to grieve the loss of them. It might not be in the sort of conventional way of grieving yeah. because he, I mean, obviously it's a, a Netflix show, so <laughs> they might have added some emotion in there, but, but would, would, would sort of a, a murderous killer be able to grieve someone who they might not have the same kind of relationship we would expect to have mm -hmm. with that sort of dynamic? Yes. I mean, Dahmer is someone about whom I understand there's some, some diagnostic controversy. Some say sociopathy, some say psychopathy, some say a little of both. So it's a little hard to know what to say about that particular case. But um, it has been observed by, by some uh, mental health practitioners, psychiatrists, that uh, persons with psychopathic tendencies uh, don't grieve or grieve in a very muted way. Um, now, one might think that the obvious explanation for that is that psychopaths don't have much in the way of empathy. Indeed, that's the defining feature of psychopathy. But I actually think things are complicated here because um, if it, I'm correct and what we're really grieving for are losses to ourselves, in particular losses that are tied to our practical identity, then there's no uh, expectation that empathy for the sufferings of others um, is necessary in order to grieve, right? It could just be the case that, you know, uh, the death of your mother uh, stings because you counted on your mother and, and so forth, but uh, you're not grieving uh, the uh, whatever might have been uh, befallen her. You're not grieving that you know it was bad for her to die or that she, you know her life has been cut short, right? Um, so in some of my recent work, I'm trying to figure out how to make sense of all this. Um, in a particular, trying to look at uh, features of, of the psychopathic personality having to do with the ways in which they relate to their um, past and future selves and trying to maybe figure out uh, an alternative way of thinking about empathy that, that would enable empathy to play some part in explaining why psychopaths don't grieve. Uh, but it does present a kind of puzzle, right? Uh, you might think that empathy is necessary for grief, but it doesn't seem to be absolutely essential. Psychopaths don't grieve, so there does seem to be a, a puzzle to be investigated there. Um, and so does the absence of grief and empathy in psychopaths imply that they're less likely to seek self-knowledge and perform morally virtuous acts, do you think? 
Well, we know that psychopaths don't tend to be morally virtuous people. They, they tend to be uh, fairly reckless uh, in their behavior, fairly indifferent to the ways in which um, their behaviors are harmful to other people. I would say that um, there's a way in which there's a very intricate overlapping set of connections here among ideas about uh, what it is to grieve and what's, what's necessary for us to grieve, but also the kinds of creatures or the kinds of beings that grieve. Um, as I see it, grief, at least the human variety, uh, does seem to require us to be able to think of ourselves as dependent upon and vulnerable to other people and to um, appreciate right the ways in which our own lives and what matters to us are entangled with theirs. And that seems to be uh, what the psychopath seems to lack, right, is that entanglement, right, or sense of, of interdependence or vulnerability to others. So um, in this sense, I don't think that the psychopath stands uh, to gain much from grieving in the way that I think other people can. Uh, I don't think they're, they, uh, there's much in the prospect that they're going to grieve and thereby uh, come to appreciate more richly uh, their values and commitments and so forth. But I take it that, that speaks to why we would think of psychopathy as, you know, a fairly serious uh, uh, pathology of a person's personality. Right? Uh, uh, this is not to apologize for the psychopath, but rather to suggest it's further reason to, to think that this is a rather um, unfortunate condition to be in. Can we grieve due to an absence of possibility to make someone a part of our practical self-identity? Um, I'm going to give a, a, an annoying, annoying philosopher's answer. Yes and no. Um, uh, I think they do have to be part of our practical identity, but I do think there are kind of limiting cases where they're part of our practical identity, but only in a very, very thin sense, right? So um, consider examples like these. Um, Would-be parents or people who wish to be parents, right, are known to grieve when they learn that... At, um, they uh, are, uh, that a couple is infertile, right? That they can't conceive children. So what are they grieving there? Well, they're grieving, you know, a sort of set of, of possibilities, but they're very broad possibilities. I mean, we're talking here about children that, that never existed, right? So they don't have, you know, sex or gender or personality or, you know, sort of anything to them biographically other than they would be the offspring of, of these particular parents. So there's a way in which I think the way to understand that grief is, is it's almost all about the possibilities, about what could have been about this particular person. Um, or, you know, there are examples of, of people grieving, uh, you know, someone that they uh, encountered maybe in a public space, right, and, and kind of, uh, you know, experience what we might call love at first sight, and then, you know, they find out the person is immediately killed or something like that. Um, well, you know, what's, what's going on there, right? Well, they're not grieving a kind of robust particular individual. After all, they hardly knew the individual, right? They just sort of had this passing, you know, glance of this person. And yet, you know, they feel this sense of grief for, for what could have been. So I do think there has to be some sort of identity investment, but I think it's remarkable how the identity investment often doesn't require a lot of thickness to the person, right? That doesn't require that the person be all that well filled out in terms of the details of their biographies and so forth. Um, but again, you know, parents grieving uh, because they can't conceive or parents grieving, uh, you know, um, miscarried fetuses seems to be another sort of example of this, right? You, you, do, you there do have like a particular individual, but that person is from the point of view of the parents kind of most, mostly possibility rather than actuality. Michael, how did you get involved 
in the philosophy of grief? Was there some philosopher you'd read who sparked your interest? Um, well, as I said, it's not a topic that uh, a lot of philosophers have written very much about. So uh, it wasn't, uh, the inspiration wasn't primarily philosophical. I would say that it sort of has two sources. Um, one of them uh, comes out of teaching, actually, right? So um, for me, you know, the study of grief fits within wider philosophical interests in death and dying. So I've been teaching philosophy of death and dying for quite a long time, working on 20 years now. Um, and one thing I noticed is that, you know, uh, a lot of the questions that we characteristically deal with in philosophy of death and dying are, if you will, sort of first personal, right? Should I fear my own death? Would it be bad for me? Will I survive it? And so forth. Those are all excellent and, and legitimate and fascinating philosophical questions, but a lot of my students were approaching them um, through grief, right? They were sort of thinking about this from the standpoint of, of, you know, their deceased loved ones or, you know, students relaying anecdotes about how they grieved when their pet died when they were very small and that sort of thing. So I began to wonder, well, is there a way to sort of think about death and mortality uh, by looking at grief, right? And maybe that would be a fruitful way, right, to sort of help students think about death and mortality uh, since they seem to be drawn to thinking in those ways already. Um, but then, as I said, you know, I, when I began poking around the philosophy literature, I found that there wasn't all that much there. So part of what I be, uh, was motivated by, I think, is, is wanting to uh, think about something that is, I think, obviously of great importance to people's lives, but that philosophers had uh, really not said very much about. I think the other thing is that um, I think philosophy has, has said a lot in the last maybe sort of 10 or 20 years about personal relationships, right? And, you know, a lot about love and friendship and, you know, other aspects of, of personal relationships. Um, but to my eye, until very recently, there hadn't been a lot said, again, about, about loss of relationships, right? And why loss of relationships seems to be distinctive from other kinds of losses, right? I mean, it's one thing to sort of, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, be in a car accident, right? And your car is totaled, so you can't have your car anymore. It's quite different, I think, um, from, you know, uh, uh, your sibling dying or, or your mother dying, right? I mean, there seems, grief, in other words, I think, puts a sort of spotlight on the distinctive axiological significance of human relationships, right? Why they matter to us, why they count, uh, why they count so much in our lives. So for me, it's an opportunity to kind of figure that out, right? <laughs> you know, why, why are relationships important and valuable? In particular, are they important and valuable in ways that other things seem not to be important and valuable, right? They don't seem to be, for example, goals, right? Relationships aren't goals exactly, right? They're not ends, right? They seem to be commitments, right? And that seems to be a different kind of way of valuing something and I think raises some interesting philosophical questions. Yeah, I think that's one of my favorite things about philosophy is it's it's it seemed when I first heard about about it as a subject, it seemed very theoretical and scary. But as I started learning about it, I realized how applicable it is to different experiences, relationships and stuff like that. And so it's it's so lovely to get into such an interesting topic with you through a philosophical lens, but which will be so applicable to everyone. I'd like to think so. I don't think that we philosophers can take the part, uh, take the place of I don't know, psychologists, therapists, priests, whatever. But I do think that if we can equip people with some insights into what happens to them in their lives uh, and how to think about them, then, you know, we, we've done the public a service. So, yeah. Well, well, thank you so much for talking with us today, Michael. Um, it, it's been so interesting. Uh, I, I want to ask you so many more questions, but I do think <laughs> we're probably probably coming to the end of, of the time limit now. Um, 
your book recently came out was it in 2022 a uh, grief and philosophical guide yeah um and it's accessible at michael.chorby.com slash grief is that correct yeah you can see all kinds of um of my research and various kinds of media contributions at that URL. And if you're just interested in the book, uh, I would just recommend going directly to Princeton University Press's site where you can get a hold of it. Um, currently in hardback, but I'm hoping uh, sometime in the next uh, six to nine months or so, it'll be available ever so slightly less uh, lower price uh, paperback. So, yeah. <laughs> well, then, fantastic. Thank you so much. And um, I'm sure our listeners will be really looking forward to properly reading through your publications now. That'd be great. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thank you for listening. You can find all our other episodes wherever you get your podcasts and can check out our website for all of our social media links and host information at www.thoughtsyouwithg.com.